Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code. A lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM, let's create. Every person on earth, how rich or poor you are, experiences joy and pain. It's just a part of what life is. It's part of what this experience is. You're supposed to experience pain and you're supposed to experience joy. And you're supposed to figure out how to manage those two things, you know? Like I was in, you know, I broke my ankle in Norway on tour. Like I was like at the highest of my high, like my first tour in Europe, this is great. Slip down a hill and <laughs> break your ankle and your fibula. You know, like in Norway, and, and you know what I mean? And <laughs> Stavanger, Norway, of all places, you know, survived all parts of South Central in the hood right. and gangs and <laughs> LAPD and <laughs> get taken out by some snow in Stavanger, Norway. Like, you know, but it's supposed to happen. Like that, that was supposed to happen. And that, you know, and I feel like everything that happens to me is kind of like it's, it is the journey. That was Kamasi Washington. I'm Sam Fragoso, and this is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. To imagine that if you're someone listening to this podcast right now, then this week has been uh, not an easy one. The mass hysteria around whether to believe yet another woman who has had yet another horrifying experience with the man just won't seem to end. I'm sure I'm not alone in thinking that um, it's disorienting, it's distracting, uh, it's especially difficult to 
concentrate and retain any semblance of sanity. I mean, it's hard enough to stay even a little bit sane uh, without all of this shit happening. And since I don't see a change coming in the immediate future, and since I really have no interest in pinning my hopes of being happy on the people in D.C., I'm turning to a more uh, reliable source of joy. Music. This week, it was Kamasi Washington's brilliant, beautiful new record, Heaven and Earth. Take a listen. unfamiliar, Kamasi Washington is a jazz saxophonist, band leader, producer, wonderkin at one point, savant now. If you're not familiar with his solo work, you've probably heard him elsewhere. He's an incredible talent who has uh, toured with Snoop Dogg, played on stage with folks like Wayne Shorter, Herbie Hancock, Lauren Hill, Jaka Khan. The list goes on and on, but to me, Kamasi is the answer to anyone who says jazz is dead, that it's over, it cannot be resurrected. They're wrong. The spirit of jazz lives on in Kamasi, Washington. It lives on in his 10-piece band called The Next Step. And most importantly, it lives on in his latest record, Heaven and Earth. Like his first record called The Epic, Heaven and Earth is sweeping and cinematic. It's not background music. It fills the room, and if you're going to listen to it, I would encourage you to do so with headphones or in your car where you can blast it as loud as you need to or with good speakers at home. He makes the rare pieces of modern music that deserve your time and attention and care. And so when we sat down, Kamasi and I walked through his upbringing in Inglewood, playing music at a very young age, touring with Snoop Dogg at 18, and really so much more, I think in 20 to 30 years, we are going to look back and uh, be very thankful. Similar to how I feel about Amy Winehouse or or Kendrick Lamar or some of these other people. We're going to be thankful that we were alive in this time that they were creating. Folks like him don't come around very often, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. So, finally, here is Kamasi Washington. You know, you've talked a whole bunch about growing up in South Central um, in, in the past. 
what are your memories of of you being a young kid? Like, what what do you think you were like at that age? Mm, what was I like? I had a, I had a couple of different milestones in my life. You know, it's like um, pre saxophone mm-hmm. that era of myself, and then there's like because there's drums and piano before that. Yeah, and I feel like before I got to the saxophone, I don't think people looked at me as I, I don't. I wasn't my music was not my identity. Mm-hmm. You know? um, what was your identity? I was a bit of a bit of a rough kid, so like I guess maybe. Um, that's hard, that's hard to say. That's interesting. I don't think I ha- I don't know if I had if I really thought of myself as having an identity at that point. You know, mm-hmm. like I know I was into like video games. I was into I had I was a pretty weird kid. I was like. Kind of feisty, wanted to be a little gangster, but I also like math and science mm-hmm. and video games. Right. So like, and your mom's a science teacher. My mom's a science teacher, so I was like, that's a very strange. Yeah, it was like closetly <laughs> nerdy, maybe. Yeah, a closet nerd that had a front of being a thug. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a thug, but I also want to be really good at school. I, I like, I want, I want people to think I'm a thug while being very smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see how that um, identity crumbles over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah That probably yeah. changes. Yeah. So when when was that moment of, of change for you? Um, <clears throat> I had a cousin that was like my dad's best friend. Mm-hmm. and uh, He was the one with the uh, father had a record collection. Yeah, yeah. And when I got into Art Blakey, that's when for myself, because my dad had been trying to get me to kind of Fight on music, you know, like like he yeah. had instruments all over the house, and he, you know, I definitely took lessons from mm-hmm. him, and you know, I was playing music, so maybe that was my identity. I don't know. I might have to ask someone else who knew me back then. <laughs> like, did you look at me as being like a music kid? Because I, you know, I remember being in school and, and everyone had a recorder. Oh God, of course. And I got to bring a clarinet. Oh look at you! <laughs> and I was like, it was you like, were it was the like, kid with the clarinet. It was like an electric guitar <laughs> yeah, compared to the course. recorder. Like of course. clarinet was like the most rock star thing. It was yeah. like I had to put it together. And yeah, there's like pieces. Yeah, I remember, I, I remember getting that recorder at like Walgreens for seven ninety nine. <laughs> that shitty ass blue plastic recorder <laughs> that we all had to pretend to play. Yeah, everybody playing playing one key. I could play <laughs> any key, and I, you know. And I, I would learn songs. Like I remember, I remember, I knew all the boys and men songs <laughs> on my clarinet. So like when we when we had music day, I would uh, I would play all the other songs that no one could play, and I could you know. So maybe right. maybe that was my identity. I just didn't. Cause I had an older brother that was that was like um, kind of like like a prodigy a bit. Like so like mm-hmm. for me, he was that was music was like kind of his thing. Right, you know? but he rejected music. He rejected music. Well, he he. He didn't go to that next step of like right. actually wanting it for himself, you know. Right. Like he, you know, you're, you're a little kid and you're good at something. And everybody goes, "Oh wow, it's kind of like something that you just kind of show off at Thanksgiving." Yeah, you know, he never really, you know. The next step is the trickiest one, because it, it, it's not that anyone could be good at something at that age. It's that I think a lot of kids have some talent that's like suggestive future talent. Yeah, but most people will not act on it. You know, yeah. like it, it has it has an end point, which is somewhere around like seventh or eighth grade, early high school, where it seems like reality is coming in. But in your case, you kept playing. Yeah, and because my, my brother taught me all the stuff that he knew. You know, like so, like <laughs> when I got into music, 
Like he he had learned like a certain amount, you know, and so like he was like, oh, this is a blues scale, and this 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 is what a seventh chord is, and this yeah. is what a minor chord, is. and like so it was like I got this like jump start of like, oh, okay, cool, and then like he was kind of like just cool with that, you know, and he would you know learn you know Stevie Wonder songs and stuff like that, and he knew enough to do what he wanted to do with it, and you know I had this aspiration, I, I became enamored with really really great musicians. And so that is what I became kind of fixed on. It was like, and so that kind of over time propelled me in a different direction with music. Mm. And at, at that point, um, you know, I, I was like I said, I was a closet nerd, so I, I liked reading books. And so my dad knew that. And when I got into music, he gave me all these musician like biographies. Bi- biographies. And so the streamline between all of them was that when they were young, all they did was practice. And so I kind of like took that on yeah and then that definitely was like everybody knew like where's Kamasi at he's in the back practicing practicing (laughs) I I was thinking you know there's that whole Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours shit yeah I'm not sure I buy that theory entirely but I wanted to ask you about what is your work ethic like when you're like a young 12 13 year old kid like working at it in high school you know, it's weird because it felt like work, but it didn't feel like work, you know, because it's like um, I was into it. And when you're that young, the cool part is that when you practice, you can kind of almost immediately see the results. Mm. You know, it's like um, like now I have to, like, really work to try to <laughs> make something happen. And I go like, oh, I can do this thing now that I couldn't do. It's like. Now little, that you now that you have all the opportunity to do it, yeah, it's yeah, harder. Yeah. So when you're young, it was like for me, it was like you know I remember like when I first started really really practicing my scales, and it felt like every week I could play faster, and it was like you know then I, I remember you know learning about the, the diminished scale and like that whole world opening up to me and le- learning all these things, mm. and so it was um, and learning songs, and then it also made it so that um, it was weird like. Because I was so serious about music, my parents really, I, I got like this level of freedom that was cool, you know? Like I, I could go out. Right. I, I used to go to jam sessions until 3 in the morning when I was like 13, 14 years old. And, and they was, wouldn't be like, hey, you got to come home. No, nah, they wouldn't. I had no way to even get home. I'd, I'd be out there with no car, <laughs> pre-Uber. I remember like being in jam sessions and like trying to find like, where's my ride? Who wants to give me? You want yeah. to give me a ride? Yeah. Well, then, well, then it becomes a situation where you're like you're feeling out other people's plans. Yeah. Like, oh, are you going that? Oh, I could all maybe I could. Okay, cool. Are you hungry? Yeah. Are you hungry? Like, oh, should we get food? And well, then Taco Bell right by my house. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, look, it's two a.m. I guess you have to take me home. I am thirteen years old. Yeah. Yeah. So you really guilted a bunch of people into taking you home. Yeah. Terrace Martin being probably the main one. <laughs> <laughs> I think though your parents were like, "Hey, he's gone, but he's gone doing something that he is not only clearly good at, but is like a safe activity." Yeah. That so you were just playing music. Yeah, you were just a bunch of nerds it. like playing music late. Yeah, yeah, totally. So be not being home wasn't I bet they didn't see it as punishable. Nah, nah. And I think it's like they they knew that I wasn't like using it as a way to kind of like go off and do. Like they probably really wanted me to go off and do something more social. Like you know what I mean? Like I, I got so 
addicted to it, you know. And I, I had friends that were also addicted to it too. So it was like addicted to playing. Yeah, but addicted to music. So it was like, you know, like I think like my mom made me go to like one of the homecoming dances. Like she's like, "You're gonna go." Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, "All right, fine, I'll go." You and know what were I mean? you like, "Can I play music at the homecoming <laughs> dance?" <laughs> I was like, "No, I got a gig tonight." You know, it was like because like you know by like 15 I was gigging a lot and I was like. I wasn't at a gig. I was at a jam session or a rehearsal or something, you know. And it was just, it, uh, yeah. I think they looked at it like more like I was already working, you know. Do you think there was a turning point for you around this age? Because I have an interview. I want to play this song for seven seconds, and yeah, uh, let's talk about it. said seven seconds but then <laughs> you know you start playing and it's like i know yeah yeah the, the riff just want to come in yeah you can't turn that off i know i know yeah sleeping dancer sleep on yeah that was i remember hearing that song for the first time it's just like yeah i wish people could have seen your response to it right now oh yeah <laughs> you, you're like you immediately your mood changed oh yeah yeah nice nah, it's still one of my favorite songs ever Wayne shorter um yeah, <clears throat> that was definitely a change point for me, and it was it was weird because like I remember getting that song. I was still playing clarinet, and I could play it on clarinet, and it did not sound the same. <laughs> and I, I just remember like my dad kept telling me that the clarinet and the saxophone were the same, and that right. like, if you if you could do the clarinet, you could do the saxophone. Yeah, and if it, you know, I was like, man, it sounds it didn't sound the same. And he's like, well, it's just because you haven't practiced, and, you know. And I remember like picking up the saxophone and playing it, and it was like immediately like. Now it sounds like it, mm. you know, and um, yeah, that was a big. When I found the saxophone, it, it definitely like it made me like. Was it a light bulb moment? It was like a. I really liked this moment, you know. Like I, I liked the clarinet. But I didn't really like it, mm-hmm. you know. You didn't love it. I didn't love it. I said I really I liked the clarinet, but I didn't love it. When I picked up the saxophone, I was like, oh man, this is like. I love this. Yeah. You know? Like, because I've been listening to these records and I was in the saxophone players and it was like all of a sudden, immediately, like, yeah. me playing music sounded like the stuff that I've been listening to and it was like attainable to me. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, from the clarinet, I felt like, because I wasn't really listening to other clarinet players particularly, it didn't feel attainable because it wasn't, you know, I, I mean, I wasn't thinking that way as a kid, but it just didn't feel like I was doing the same thing they were doing. Mm hmm. And then when I picked up saxophone, it was like, oh, man, maybe one day I could sound, like I that. can make music like that. Like, that could come out of me, you right. know? And I was like, nothing else mattered. It's like, oh, okay, I'm on this journey. Like, one day, stuff, that feeling that I get from this, instead of it coming into me, it's going to come out of me, mm. you know? Did you have that sort of single-minded tunnel vision at that age? Yeah, it became, it was... 
it was intense. It was, it was almost unhealthy. Like I said, my, like my, 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 I remember my, my mom called a psychologist on me once. And it was cool for my dad because my dad was pretty strict and like he used to make us do like lots and lots of yard work and stuff like that. But because I was practicing, mm. I got out of it. Right. So like, I remember my little brother. It used to be like, nah, it's not fair. <laughs> and I would like, it was like, I would get up right before I knew he was going to come in there. And so I said, you guys need to cut the bushes and, you know what I mean, whatever, whatever right. chores he had for us. And if I was back in the back practicing. This is a good lesson for kids. Yeah. If you don't want to do chores. Practice. Play some music. Yeah. And I would just like, you know. And then, and then. What does your mom say to a psychologist? She, I mean, because I was, I was such a, it was such a f- abrupt change for me. Because mm-hmm. I was, it wasn't like a, I started, I started playing music, and then I got, you know, I changed. And her, from her perspective, I was always playing music. I've been playing music since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. And I changed instruments a few times too, so it wasn't like, but then you changed instruments, you know. So it was just all of a sudden, I didn't want to go outside. I didn't want to hang out with my friends, and my friends would literally come to the door and like. Be like, yo, man, we about to go to the park. You want to come? And, and I would be like, nah, I'm good. I'm cool. I'm, I'm all right. Do you feel like you missed out on some childhood at all? Uh, Definitely. I definitely missed out on some teenage year stuff, you know, like <laughs> teenage, like my teenage, because I was like 13, you know, so at that point, it was that 13 to 17, I was like those, not in Those are my, big years. Those are big years. I mean, I, and I was still, <clears throat> you know. You're still doing the regular stuff, you know, chasing after girls and stuff like that. But it was just like I had, I felt like I had a purpose. And I feel like most people when they're 13 are trying to find, figure out the world. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I knew what I was supposed to be doing already. Right. So that exploration of figuring out things and, you know. You had a plan. Yeah. And like... Like I said, I started gigging, so it was like I was playing in bars, <laughs> and you're like around adults, and then like, and like when you're when you're kind of talented as a kid, like they can kind of forget that you're a kid. And I kind of looked older too when I was a kid, like mm-hmm. I was tall and you know. Right. Um, Do you have a fake ID? I didn't need a fake ID because I was already like I would go play clubs. So it was like that whole like let me sneak into a bar was like, yeah, go to bars all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I was reading all these books about musicians and, like, how, like, you know, my dad made sure I, like, really looked at the part about the, like, substance abuse. So I was really paranoid about that mm-hmm. as a young kid. So I wouldn't I wouldn't drink. And it was funny, like, all the older dudes were really trying hard to get me to, take, to, right. get to have a drink. They want you to join the club. <laughs> yeah. It was like, nah, man. I was like, nah. And I was, like, super. Straight edge. Super straight edge. Didn't last until my twenties, but <laughs> <laughs> so in that uh, eighteen to twenty age, you get that job uh, that people know about. You're working with Snoop Dogg. Uh, I want to know, eighteen, nineteen year old Kamasi working with him. What is going through your head at that point? Are you like, this is insane? This is insane. I remember one time we were playing Madden. And I was just like, I cannot believe what's happening right now. Right. I lost because of it too. I mean, it was like it was like we were in it. Yeah. And I'm like in it. I had this moment. I was like, I'm sitting here playing Madden with Snoop Dogg. Yeah. That's gotta be. It was it was crazy. Because once you play Madden with someone, 
like, <laughs> yeah, it's like we're, it's, we're friends. We're friends. Yeah, yeah. You know my name, and we play Madden. I'm claiming friendship. <laughs> I think you, it sounds like you let him win, though. <laughs> no, nah, he can play. Sloop was not. He's he, he he can play, man. I don't know if I let him win, but I definitely <laughs> didn't help to have this epiphany in the middle of it. Mm. Did it at all like rattle you, or did 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 it, did it seem to to make sense to you at that age? Like you're talented enough to be here. Yeah, it it didn't it didn't rattle me. Um, it was more like. Uh, so like you know, I was into hip hop as a kid, and I get into jazz, and I, I definitely had my little like time period where all I was really listening to was jazz, you know. And I was aware of hip hop because all my friends were listening to hip hop, so I was like aware of it, mm. but I wasn't really engaged in it like that, you know. It was like I had a few few records that I was really into, you know, but it was like it was kind of like like I said, where I was kind of like I had the blinders on. It was like tunnel vision. I had tunnel vision. You know, and so maybe a year or two before that is when I kind of started, like, when I graduated from high school is when I kind of lost my tunnel vision. And I, I got back to, like, living life a little bit, and that brought me back to hip-hop. Mm. And then I go out on tour with Snoop, and it was like Snoop was who I was into before I had my tunnel vision. Right, so it worked out. So it was like... It was like this, just like I was like, man, I'm a huge, I'm a huge, huge fan, but that you can't act like a huge fan in that scenario. You know, you kind of have to like. Well, you're there off. to work. Yeah, you got to be cool because you know you're not supposed to be a fan. You're you're a colleague. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a 19 year old colleague. 19 year old colleague, and like it was wild. I mean, it was like a different world for me. You know, it was it was the first time I really traveled. Mm-hmm. I think I had been to Vegas. <laughs> you know, before That's that, travel. You know, um, what does he teach you on that tour? I have to imagine that you guys have conversations, especially when you're on the road like that. It's not teaching like that. Not Snoop. I mean, I mean, he's teaching music by making music with him. You know, it's basically like um, it's one of those things where you you have to be able to learn through interaction. No one's going to tell you, this is what you're supposed to do. It's just more like, if they're looking at you like, you sound whack, you need to figure out why. Right. <laughs> and it started off like that, you know, like, we didn't really understand exactly, like, how they heard music, you know? Like, I, I understood his music, and I, and I listened to it a lot, but I wasn't necessarily privy to, like, how how they were thinking about music. And mm-hmm. It was so contingent on how the music feels, and how it feels, and how it feels, is really dependent on how you play it, almost more so than what you play. Mm. And so, like that reality, I mean, we learned it. We played it pretty pretty quick, but because you know, and I wasn't on, alone on it. Like Terrace was new on the gig, and Ryan Porter was new on the gig, and I feel like the whole band was pretty new. We, like, it wasn't like we were like joining a band that I think he like he had. Stopped having a band, and I feel like everyone was new coming into it. So it wasn't, it, you know, what I mean, you didn't have that feeling of like, you know, I mean, like certain cats like D Loke, Marlon, I feel like they understood that music much better mm-hmm. than I did. And uh, and Terrace too, like, so I, I was learning from them. So I had people, to, and I was, but at the same time, I was, I was, I was pretty quick. So you could learn quickly. Yeah. So I never had, to, I never felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. No one was ever like. You know, so everyone was kind of like, oh, 
mm. happy that you're there, you know? After that period, the tour ends, and in, you're making your own music with the group of kids you grew up with. When is the moment in, in that time where you felt like, okay, this is my job, I'm doing this now, I'm, but now I'm not doing a tour, like I need to be on my own, I need to figure this out on my own? It was so inter it's, it's intermingled, you know, because it wasn't like a like we're out for a year. It's mm -hmm. like we're gone for two weeks, then we're gone for a month, and right. like you come back home, and so like you go back and forth. You go back. It's like it's like stepping in and out of reality, you know. Like you go on tour with Snoop, and it's like you, you smoking in, in the airport, and <laughs> you yeah. know, is that life? Different or like Yeah, like people see you and scream and run towards you. You know what I mean? And then you come back home, and it's like. Yeah. You're dealing with more like a regular life, you know. And yeah, so, you're at Blockbuster and no one cares. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Is that it? You're at Blockbusters and they want to see your ID before they let you get get your video. Um, no one's like, were you the guy performing <laughs> with Snoop Dogg in that yeah, band? Yeah, well, everything you want happens for you when you want to, you know, when yeah. you want it to happen. Different uh, worlds. Different worlds. And um, One's a fantasy, one's reality. <laughs> yeah, and at that point in my life, I guess I was playing with a lot of different people too, so it was like, it was just like, it was a kind of whirlwind a little bit, you know. Putting a pause on the conversation for a second. As we enter the tail end of this year, I want to make a plug for this show. I don't do this very often, but this podcast is called Talk Easy. It airs every Sunday, and it is long-form conversations with people that I find fascinating. But mostly, it is an hour of two people trying to be as human and honest as possible. This year, we've had on folks like John Cho, Judy Greer, Alan Alda, Rob Reiner, Alia Shawkat. In the past, we've had on everyone from Malcolm Gladwell and Lena Waithe to Norman Lear and Willem Dafoe. Whether you're listening for the first time today or you've been listening since we started two and a half years ago, I would encourage you, if you can, if you like this podcast, to support the show on social media. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram other social media platforms I may not be familiar with. Posting about Talk Easy on there is the best way for new listeners to find the show. And since we are an independent operation that doesn't have a uh, dedicated team to marketing or PR, we really do turn to you for support. So if this weekly program means something to you, I'd really appreciate any support you can offer through social media, sharing with a friend, whatever you can do. You can find us on Twitter at TalkEasyPod. You can also follow uh, my Instagram account at Sam Fragoso. It is something I have started reluctantly, begrudgingly, but I am trying my best to lean into this brave new world of Instagram. It is mostly videos of our dog at the house, but I also post some behind-the-scenes stuff of the podcast and whatever else is happening. Anyway, thank you in advance for your help. Now... Back to Kamasi, Washington. Some of how you describe your trajectory is very much like, kind of just happened. Oh, like, yeah. Like you were like in proximity to X person and then that person became a collaborator. Yeah. It seemed, uh, it all seems very organic. Yeah, no, totally. It's like, you know, I went to UCLA to because one of my favorite composers, Gerald Wilson, was there. And uh, I ended up playing with him, and he he, uh, he called me over to his house to learn a song because he wanted me to play on a record of his. And and I was like the biggest Gerald Wilson fan, you know. And 
turned out he lived two blocks away from me. Oh, my God. And I was like, Gerald, you been here this whole time? I was like, man, I live two blocks that way and one block that way. He was like, I used to hear you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I used to blast your music out of my window and play on top of it all the time. He's like, I couldn't find you. I thought you were at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> you know, but I was like up, you know. And right. it was like, I was like, wow. That's pretty amazing. It was pretty crazy, yeah. The proximity. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, it did feel, kind of feel like for me, like I was just, I was kind of aimlessly wandering on a path that was set out for me, you know what I mean? Because I, I just meet people along it that I was supposed to meet at the right time, and I was supposed to meet them, and you know, do the things I was supposed to do, and it was just kind of like I didn't have to really chase mm-hmm. in general, you know. There's this quote uh, that your father gave in a speech for Red Bull. Um, I never thought I'd say that sentence. <laughs> speech for Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a paid sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. I promise it's meaningful um, and related to what we're talking about. Uh, he said, when you have the friends who don't practice, who are not dreamers, who are television watchers, always get loaded on the couch who spill out excuses when they're not great. That's wood. That wood could smell pleasant. That could be good looking wood. But it's still wood. Around this age, in your early 20s, that is the age where people who previously had artistic aspirations, I think, it's like they decide, I'm doing it, or I'm going to try to do it but never really do it, or I'm going to become an investment banker. How do you deal with um, the the surrounding environment? Does that quote make sense to you? No, it totally does. I mean, I think for me... Like I said, like, I was working as a musician before that. And so, and it was never really, to me, my aspiration really was just to be able to make great music. And, like, all the gigs I got and all all the opportunities, like, that seemed like career great opportunities for me, I always kind of looked at them more as, as that. Like, when I started playing with Snoop, it was like, like, I remember, like, Having a little bit of that, like, man, I can play giant steps. This is about to be easy. <laughs> this is going to be a breeze, you know? And going there and kind of getting schooled by people like Battle Cat and D-Log and, and Terrace and all them and going like, oh, shit, like, I need to learn mm. this because I'm missing something. And What were you missing? That understanding, that understanding of, like, the importance of, of feel and how you play music, you know, how you place, how you play something. Mm-hmm. It's like, I Beyond can say the technical. To you, like, hello, or I can say, hello, hello, you know, <laughs> hello. You know, that's like, you know, just like in language, like just how you say a word, uh-huh. it gives it totally different meaning. You know, a lot of musicians didn't really understand that. And like, there's like super levels to that, you know? And so like you get around someone like Battlecat and he has such a high, a high sensitivity to that. That like you know they sing a line to you and you, and you didn't understand that and and so like for me I think that that notion of like am I gonna be a musician or like an investment banker I was like leaps and bounds away from that you right know? it was like man will I one day be able to like write something that will move me the way that. You know, Firebird Sweet move me. You know, like that was like my thought. You know, that was what I was worried about. Mm. You know, and because I, I was already working and making money, making good money as a musician, like 
I was 17, yeah. you know? So it wasn't like, I didn't have that, like, how am I going to do this? And I have, you know, a father that's a musician. You know, my mom was little, was probably the only person in my family that was ever really worried about <laughs> me financially, like, the, the, the logistics of being a musician. She's the only one that ever really, and even her, like, because I was, you know, I was already buying my own clothes and, like, you know, bought my own first, you know, you know. Right. You were supporting yourself. I was supporting myself, so it was like it was a very loose concern, you know. Your father also says this whole speech. I actually think is really good. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was really um, eloquent and pointed. Yeah. Um, and he said, it, it, "For you, it wasn't about the money. It was about the conviction of a heart." And re-listening to your newest record today, I was listening to it driving over here. It was so goddamn loud in my car, and the windows were down, and I had to imagine the people I drove past were like, my God, <laughs> you're really blaring this. <laughs> and I was overwhelmed by, um, on Testify, especially. Especially, I felt the heart more than I have as a listener. As you're, you know, I don't know all your yeah. music so well, but I know it enough. Yeah, nah, nah. And I don't know. I guess I was. Uh, my question is: Do you feel like you're getting closer to and closer to the heart of it? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I feel like it's like that. It's like I feel like. <clears throat> When I was working on an epic, I was it was something that was really far in the distance and I was like reaching for it. And I got to heaven and earth, it was something like that was much closer to me. Mm. And I was like you know, so when I listen to it it feels like It's like a beating heart. Yeah. Um and, you know, different people enjoy different things at different levels, you know what I mean? So I, I find people that enjoy the way the the epic feels like I'm reaching for something that's well, it's, it's incredible. You know, you uh, listen to that and you're like, "My God, you are the ambition there is like incalculable." It's like yeah. I, don't, I don't even know how you did that. Yeah, and so now it's like I feel like it's interesting because it, it changes each time. Because you know, the epic is like you're reaching for something, and that's a sound, that's an energy, that's a feel. Yeah, know? for heaven and earth, I feel like I kind of captured what I was reaching for, <laughs> <laughs> and so now I'm trying to figure out what. It is, you know? So, like, people ask me, like, what are you working on now? It's like, I'm literally just, I spend more time thinking about music, sitting at my piano and just thinking about, you know, what it is. It's, it's, it's weird because it's like it gets, 
on one in one side it gets easier and in another sense it gets harder right as you go along you know it's it gets mentally m- more difficult as you grow and physically much easier right you know i feel like like i said before like i used to practice physical stuff and like i had a physical change of what i could do and now i feel like even things that i can't do physically it's just a matter of me deciding to, to figure out how to do that yeah you know what I mean? It's not well because you've you've put in the requisite work at yeah. this point, and now, by the sounds of it, it, it's just about okay, now what? Yeah. When now, like, how do I best capture what I'm feeling in myself now? Yeah, yeah. Like in RPG terms, it's like I've been searching for the <laughs> you know the golden hammer with the purple stone in it, and now I have it. <laughs> what do I do with it? Yeah, it's the now what question. Yeah, and so um. So in some senses, I feel like I've, I'm much further along. In other senses, I feel like, but now it's more difficult. You know, it's like a mountain that never, you never get to the top. It's you, just, you, you get higher, and then the clouds part, and you can see, like, how much higher you have to go. And it's like, oh, wow, well, how do I get up this part? Right. You know, and so right now, I feel like I, found my, I find myself <clears throat> really just kind of searching, you know, trying to figure out. Whereas after the epic, I felt like, ooh, like, we went on tour, Mm-hmm. After the epic, it was like that thing that I was reaching for when we were when we started recording this. It, it's there. We 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 have yeah. You've arrived. We we have that, and it's like, and that's why I was really excited to make Heaven and Earth because it felt like that. I was like, I was like itching to get back in the studio and record that because it was like, uh, while we have because I know music is like that. You, you you don't keep it. You know, it, it comes to you for a time. And then you know you can do something you do something with it, and then it, it kind of goes away. Right. Um, so while we had that, that's what I, you know. So that's yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a difficult thing. Um, to me, I I never felt like I ever I ever have it. It's always um like on the verge of. It. I'm on the verge of it, and as soon as it gets like it feels like it's in your hand. <laughs> It switches what you're supposed to have. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it. It's like actually you have the wrong tool. I mean, yeah. You need something else now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like oh, that 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 hammer with the with the green ruby in it is just the handle for the sword. You know I, what I mean? That you know. I don't know. Are you okay with the fact that there's always gonna be more? I mean, that's the only thing. I mean, it would suck if it wasn't. You know what I mean? It would suck to like feel like plateau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, I don't think there's any end to it, you know what I mean? It's just, it just changes, you know? It's like, like I said, like, you know, I remember being a kid and just, like, wishing that I could play my chromatic skill. Mm. You know, just wishing that I could play it, that I could play it really clean and really well, you know? And it's like, that was the thing. And I remember, like, doing that, and I remember, like, it completely affecting the, everything I was doing when I got that. And it was like, oh, I'm playing a chromatic scale all the time on everything now because I can, you know, and I remember, mm. you know, wanting to be able to just play certain songs. And like as you grow, it's the, that's that same thing. Um, Do you and, you know, the folks you work with, is this a conversation you guys have about, okay, because you guys are in a very unique position, right? I mean, in the world, there are not that many musicians, jazz or otherwise, who get to do this for a living and to yeah. make a good living at it at that. And you're in this very um, fortunate, privileged position that you work to get to. 
But now you have to decide how to use it, how to best use it. Yeah. Especially when you all are so talented. Is that a conversation you guys have? Yeah, we talk about it all the time. I mean, it's, um, I mean, one, we just ask each other what we're doing, like, because that kind of helps too. Like, man, what, you, what you working on right now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like that. And you go like, oh, wow, okay, that's what you're doing, you know. Because um, are people going in different directions? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and we always have been that way. Even though we've been together, it was like we never were. It's weird because we, it was like, um, and it's the same thing happens now. It's like we're all invested in each other. So in that, whatever anyone is into, we're all into it. You know? mm. But we're always into different things, you know? <laughs> you know. So like, while I was like super, like you know, like you know, like Ron Bruno and I grew up since we were little kids together, and like, you know, when I was really into Art Blakey, you know, he was like into I don't know uh, who was he into Dennis Chambers, you know. And then I'm like, he's got really into Miles, and I was really into Train, and it was just, but we were, were kind of like we we're just always on that, like same thing, like. Thundercat was really into 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 Stanley Clark, you mm. know, and and so, but because of that, you know, I had to get into Stanley Clark because we get together and he wanted to play all these Stanley Clark songs. Yeah. And so it was like, all right, yeah. And then then I started loving that. And so that same thing happens now. It's like, what do you what are you into right now? Oh man, I'm listening to this. I'm I'm trying to do this. Man, I'm working on this. I'm, you know, and that just makes you go like, oh wow. You know, and so the question of like career stuff comes up now too, because it's like we're there's a financial component, financial component, and there's like the component of like you know we've waited to have this opportunity, you know, because even though we were doing well before, we didn't have the opportunity really to like be able to make our own music and have people care on a on a you know on a Sizable scale. Yeah, sizable scale. You know, so it was like, so it's now it's like, okay, if people care about what we're doing, like, what are you going to do, you know? And everyone has something different they want to do. Everyone has something different that they want to contribute to the to the world of music, you know? And so... Um, do you feel any pressure? I don't feel pressure. Um... Definitely, I didn't feel pressure from the epic into heaven and earth. Um, I feel the only pressure I feel is to not uh, waste it, you know, mm. to like to kind of do the best that I can, you know what I mean? Like to say, like to really reach for like what I really have, you know. It's like, all right, like that people are going to at least listen to what you do. So like. Really, you know, it's like it's like when it's like everyone's talking and it's like, okay, now you have a chance to say something. Right. It's like, well, let me just make sure I really believe what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> before I say this, you know. Well, you don't want to stand up there and not say anything. Yeah. Or like take out the XLR cord and then walk off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like say something that you didn't really mean. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I have to really go to the bathroom. It's like that's not oh, what I wanted to say. <laughs> I worked so hard and now I'm just telling people <laughs> I have to take a shit. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, that's the only pressure is just, like, it's more internal than, like, external. Like, I'm not, I don't feel pressure to make something that I think people were going to like, you know? I feel like I can't tell what people are going to like. No mm. one can. The only pressure I have is, like, 
I have an opportunity to, to make something like it's more of that. It's like so, so I have ideas, you know, like I have things that I want to do. I'm like, oh man, I gotta do that. And so I had the pressure of, oh man, I really want to do that. Okay, let me figure out how to do that. You know? Are you hard on yourself? I'm not easily satisfied with myself. I don't know if I'm hard on myself. But, That's a good answer. But I'm not easily satisfied with something I do, you know? Like, like I'll, I hear something and people are like, oh, man, that's great. And I'm like, and I, but I also understand the reality that there's a difference between something being good and something being what I wanted it to be. Mm. Good and bad and what I want it to be are not necessarily synonymous with one or another. So I can make something that's great that isn't what I wanted to make. And I will not necessarily be satisfied with it. And so sometimes when I'm making a, all the time when I'm making a record, I try to give myself a break from it to not get so carried away with that. Um, so I don't like, it's kind of what t- takes my record so long to make sometimes because uh, I'll make a bunch of music and then I have to like walk away from it. Because I won't really be able to hear what's good or bad. Mm. All I will hear is, did I do what I was trying to do or did I not do what I was trying to do? Mm. And so I'll come back to it and it'll be like, this thing that I wasn't really that into, I'm really into now. And that thing that I was really into, I'm not so into it. Because even though it was what I tried to do, it wasn't really that good. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like when I when it act, when you actually see it in fruition, it's like, yeah, that was what I was trying to do, but yeah, fucking. That's not it, you know. Like, but this other thing that I accident—it was absolutely an accident. Yeah, it was really fucking cool. So the happy accident. That's what's going on the album. That's what America's yeah. gonna hear. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. thing that I really thought was gonna be great is not that great. Yeah, and that will be on my hard drive. <laughs> yeah, that'll come out when I'm when I'm gone, and like you know, my <laughs> great great nephew or something like that puts right. it out. You know, and I'm like. <laughs> unreleased tracks that he didn't think were that good <laughs> yeah. but he is dead now and you will buy them <laughs> yep that's pretty much what happens and I already know if you want to take that uh, album title you can take it from me <laughs> it's all good <laughs> Kamasi's bullshit <laughs> <laughs> that's good that is oddly enough the last thing I wanted to ask you about which is the, the question of legacy you know we talk about all the guys that you grew up admiring davis and coltrane and blakey and you know even people that i think about for me that meant the world you read the biographies i've read some of those myself and for whatever reason the disposition of a musician or rather the future life of a musician it's not happy a lot of the times there's somber endings yeah that's true I mean I think that music is uh, that's very true I mean I mean you got people like Herbie whose life seemed like it <laughs> when I read his biography yeah it's a pretty happy story pretty, he seems you know seems... I mean even in the rough times he's come out of them you know and yeah, you know I think that yeah same thing with uh, Quincy and yeah I think art in general, you know, it, it's it's such a you're pouring yourself out, and there's a degree like, and I felt it too, like when you become popular, I guess you have to realize that just like 
there's no one thing that everyone likes. No one thing, no one person, no one mute song. And so you have to just, I think that music, um, it's such a sensitive thing. It's like, it's like you're exposing your soul. You know, it's like, imagine like, you know, you're walking in a room and taking your clothes off and someone going like, Ew. <laughs> it would really suck. It would be like, oh, man. Not only that, but um, the ew was going to be posted online. Yeah. And so, like, take that feeling and multiply it by a thousand. It's like what you're doing when you, like, put your music out there. Like, especially when it's, like, really true music that's really from your heart, that you really felt like I poured everything into it. Like, this is as good as it can be, which is like as good as I can be, which is as good yeah. as, you know. And as good as you can be in this moment. Yeah, and, you know, that is that is a a draining kind of thing. And so I think that sometimes, and, and, and for reasons I don't know, I feel like the people who can really tap into the music on a really high level in general are not particularly emotionally stable. Hmm. Um, are you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm more I'm more emotionally stable than some, um, less than others maybe. But I am, you know, I'm Aquarius. So I'm a thinker, you know. So even like when I, my feelings are terribly destroyedly hurt, my reaction to it is to think about it, which is a blessing, more so than to react to it. You know, so I think that music in itself is like, it's a very kind of emotional thing. You know, it's like you're, it's like having kids or something. It's like that. It's like just, it's just a very like taxing thing to do, mm. especially when you, the higher level you get of it, it's more. It becomes more and more like, it's like you're opening more and more of the doors of who you are and what you are and what you believe and what you can do and what and what you think about life. And sometimes, I think that the response to that can be heartbreaking you know like what it does you know how how the world reacts to it can be heartbreaking and that can lead you down to a path of destruction you know i think the people who the musicians who've had who've made great music and or had success that haven't self-destructed kind of are the ones who are able to do that who are able to like remove themselves a bit and see it for what it really is, you know? It's like you're making something and the world reacts to it and you don't need to destroy yourself because of that, because of their reaction to it, you know? And that's what I have to tell myself all the time. It's like, man, I'm, I'm just making something that I, I believe is beautiful and, and it's not always the negative reactions either. Sometimes positive reactions can affect you in a weird way, mm. you know? And it's hard to explain. It's a little bit of insanity that comes with it. And, and I feel like I'm blessed because I, I, I do feel like... And sometimes it's, it, sometimes it gets in the way. Like, my reaction to almost anything is to stop and think about it and try to understand it. That's just my general knee-jerk knee reaction to almost anything happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like... Is to stop, and and sometimes it slows me down because I'm not reactionary enough, you know. What I mean, and just in life, like people want me to do something, I'm like, nope, I'm gonna think about this. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's the math and science part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, 
that's helped me a lot. And so hopefully my story won't be a tragic one, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think you need all those – sometimes I feel like you do need some of those emotions to right. really create something. And it's like, you know, you get too happy and then the music starts sounding dull, mm-hmm. you know. Luckily, I haven't. Well, luckily or unluckily, I haven't. I don't think I've gotten that happy yet. <laughs> um, well, yeah. it's a weird thing for me to say. I hope you don't get happy, <laughs> so that you keep making good music. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. I think if you keep leaving, I mean, life comes with joy and, and and pain. That's just every 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 person on earth, how rich or poor you are, experiences joy and pain. It's just a part of what life is. It's part of what this experience is, and the balance of of, of our how we. I believe part of this experience that we're supposed to be having is that it's you're supposed to experience pain and you're supposed to experience joy, and you're supposed to figure out how to manage those two things. You know, I because yeah, I mean, I do believe that. So I feel I feel like I'm kind of. When bad stuff happens, and it happens to me, and it's like I just kind of go like, "Okay, well, that was supposed to happen. I don't know why, but you know, like I was in, you know, I broke my ankle in Norway on tour. It's like I was like at the highest of my high, like my first tour in Europe. This is great. Slip down a hill, and yeah, <laughs> break your ankle and your fibula." You know, like in Norway, and, and you know what I mean, and <laughs> Stavanger, Norway, of all places, you know, survived all parts of South Central in the hood, right. and gangs, <laughs> LAPD, <laughs> get taken out by some snow in Stavanger, Norway, like you know. But it's supposed to happen. Like that, that was supposed to happen, and that, you know, and I feel like everything that happens to me is kind of like it's. It is the journey, you know, and that's what life is. And like, so you have to, you have to realize that, like, these, you know, that is what it is. And I think that sometimes, you know, what I can take from what I've read about musicians' lives is the ones who seem to overall get through it are the ones who kind of understood that and didn't let that, you know, emotional thing kind of overtake them. So mm-hmm. hopefully. I'll be one of those. <laughs> I think so. I believe that for you. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kamasi Washington, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, man, thanks for having me. It's a joy. Yeah. So long. Cool. Special thanks this week to Reed Kutrow, Ian Chang, and the people on Maximum Fun. If you'd like to learn more about Kamasi's tour, you can do so at www.kamasiwashington.com. Kamasi's latest record, Heaven and Earth, can be found wherever you get your music, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, a record store, 
uh, it is worth your time. If you want to learn more about what we talked about on the show, you can do so at our website at www.talkeasypod.com. As always, the show is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenoy, our associate producer is Elliot Weintraub, and the show is produced by Dylan Peck. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you next week. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.